You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Wiper malware hits Russian targets. Microsoft sees an intensification of Russian cyber operations against Ukraine. State policy, privateering, or an APT side hustle? The U.S. Cyber Safety Review Board will investigate the Lapsus Group. Rackspace works to remediate a security incident. The schoolyard bully Trojan harvests credentials. Grayson Milborn of Open Text Security Solutions on attacks on common open source dev libraries. Rick Howard looks at CISO career paths and trends in ransomware. Cybercrime succeeds when the gang runs like a business. the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, December 5th, 2022. Kaspersky has described a newly observed wiper, CryWiper, a pseudo-ransomware trojan the researchers think is designed to destroy data. It seems unlikely, in their judgment, that CryWiper is being deployed for financial gain. Although it displays a ransom demand with the customary Bitcoin wallet address, files overwritten by CryWiper are permanently unrecoverable. It focuses on databases, archives, and user documents, not on the victim's operating system. Kaspersky said in its Friday notice that so far it had observed CryWiper in use only against targets in Russia— Ars Technica says that CryWiper seems to have affected mostly judicial courts and mayoral offices. No one is offering attribution, but the selection of targets would seem circumstantially to point to Ukrainian cyber operations. Microsoft published an appreciation of Russian cyber operations on Saturday. It begins with a familiar assessment of Russian forces' conventional combat failure, stating... In the wake of Russian battlefield losses to Ukraine this fall, Moscow has intensified its multi-pronged hybrid technology approach to pressure the sources of Kyiv's military and political support, domestic and foreign. The report notes the combination of missile strikes, intensified information operations, and the extension of cyber attacks to targets outside Ukraine proper, notably Poland. So Microsoft predicts two lines of coordinated attack— neither of which involves conventional ground combat, missile strikes while the munition stocks last, and cyber attacks. In both cases, the targets are infrastructure. The GRU Cyber Operations Unit Microsoft tracks as Iridium 
is likely to play a significant role in the next phases of the hybrid war. The group has a strong track record of attacks against civilian infrastructure and has also shown an indifference to the effects of its operations on others than the primary targets. Indeed, the effect of NotPetya on companies, especially logistics companies, in 2017 suggests that those effects were not so much unintended collateral damage as they were welcome side benefits. Deployment of wiper malware during the present war has had mixed results and has in general fallen short of what Russian commanders might have wished, but it represents an ongoing threat. The group's recent deployment of prestige ransomware against targets outside Ukraine suggests a continued willingness to hit countries that support Ukraine's cause. Microsoft says it intends to follow an approach built around what it calls the four Ds, detect, disrupt, defense, and deter. These are inherently cooperative activities, and Microsoft says it will be working with their customers in support of democracies. It's unclear what authorities were in play, but NBC News reports that a U.S. Secret Service investigation has attributed a wave of COVID relief fund fraud to APT-41, a threat actor that customarily works on behalf of the Chinese government. The fraud was very widespread and a great deal was stolen, but whether the APT was stealing under orders, was privateering, or was simply permitted to enjoy a profit from a side hustle is unclear. The U.S. Cyber Safety Review Board, established in February of this year, has announced that it's undertaking an investigation of the Lapsus Group, the international extortion gang, many of whose members are teenagers. The Lapsus Group has had an impact on organizations far out of proportion to its perceived skills and resources. This represents the Cyber Safety Review Board's second investigation since its founding. The first, completed in July, was an examination of the Log4J family of vulnerabilities. Late Friday afternoon, cloud service provider Rackspace disclosed that its customers were experiencing difficulties with the company's hosted exchange environments. On Saturday, the company explained, On Friday, December 2, 2022, we became aware of an issue impacting our hosted exchange environment. We proactively powered down and disconnected the hosted exchange environment while we triaged to understand the extent and the severity of the impact. After further analysis, we have determined that this is a security incident. Through yesterday, Rackspace was contacting customers and advising them on workarounds available to restore alternative services, but they remained unsure when the hosted exchange environments might return to normal. Early this morning, the company advised customers to restore email service by moving to Microsoft 365. The exact nature of the security incident is unclear, but Bleeping Computer shares some informed outsider speculation that suspects it might have involved exploitation of the proxy-not-shell vulnerability discovered in September and addressed by Microsoft last month. A Shodan search by researcher Kevin Beaumont is said to have indicated that Rackspace was running a vulnerable Microsoft Exchange server build. Mobile security firm Zimperium has discovered an Android threat the schoolyard bully Trojan. The Trojan has been active since 2018 and primarily targets Vietnamese readers. The Trojan has the ability to steal credentials from the Facebook accounts of victims, including email, phone number, password, ID, and name. 
Schoolyard Bully disguises itself as a reading or educational app, IT World Canada reports. The malware also uses JavaScript injections to show phishing pages designed to look like a Facebook login screen so that the victim's credentials can be stolen. IT World Canada writes, The Trojan steals these details by using WebView to open a legitimate Facebook login page inside the app and injecting malicious JavaScript to extract the user inputs. Vietnamese readers are the primary target of the Trojan, but the malware has been seen victimizing over 300,000 people in 71 different countries. Zimperium, however, acknowledges that infected applications still exist in some third-party app stores. The bullies look a lot like those involved with Flytrap, Zimperium reports. Flytrap involved Vietnamese threat actors creating and spreading applications. While this Trojan targets Vietnamese readers, but despite the geographical coincidence, the researchers discovered enough differences between the code samples for them to conclude that in all probability there's no direct connection between Flytrap and Schoolyard Bully. And finally, Looking Glass this morning published a report on attacks by organized ransomware gangs during the first half of 2022, finding that these groups continue to grow increasingly professionalized. The researchers also point out the similarities between ransomware gangs and legitimate technology businesses, stating, Groups have started to incorporate business practices such as finance departments, human resources, and even naming employees of the month. These are not the loosely affiliated groups of the past. Rather, they are highly professionalized organizations with quarterly revenue targets and even customer service teams. The top players are the most organized. Looking Glass notes that the majority of targeted ransomware attacks in the first half of 2022 were launched by the top 15 most active gangs. To mention just the top three, the leaders during the period covered by the report were Lockbit, Conti, and Alfie. After the break, Grayson Milborn from Open Tech Security Solutions on attacks on common open source dev libraries. Rick Howard looks at CISO career paths. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. 
The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And it's always my pleasure to welcome back to the show the CyberWire's own Rick Howard. He is our chief security officer and also our chief analyst. Rick, welcome back. Hey, Dave. So on our CyberWire Slack channels this week, you have been making some noises. uh, And by making noises, I mean running around with your hair on fire about (laughs) some sort of all hands on deck at the CyberWire hash table. So what's going on here, my friend? For the CSO Perspectives podcast, uh, we put a call out to our collection of subject matter experts, you know, a little over 30 in all at this point. You know, these are CISOs, CIOs, CEOs, and board members to see if they had any thoughts or advice about how cybersecurity newbies could become CISOs sometime in their career. And, oh, my God, Dave, almost (laughs) half of them responded with really good advice. So, you know, we, we had our hands full, yeah. Well, I mean, it's my experience that if you get more than one CISO in a room and ask them a question, you're going to get a lot of answers. <laughs> was there was there any kind of consensus that formed after talking to all these experts at your hash table? Well, you're right about that. If there's a trait that we can assign to most CISOs is that we all have opinions about how things should get done, all right? And, mm. and we all think we're right, so <laughs> including me, all right? So, and advice for newbies on how to become CISO was no different in... But I, I will tell you that a consensus did emerge, and I think your listeners who aren't CISOs will be surprised to learn what that top advice was. And I think that is what they call in the business a teaser. So <laughs> you will have to subscribe to CyberWire Pro to find out. You can find out all about that over on the CyberWire webpage. You've outed me, Dave. You've totally outed me. All right, so. <laughs> Every week you unvault an older episode of the CSO Perspectives archives, and you make that available to the public. What do you have in store for us this week? Yeah, so CSO Perspective is all about cybersecurity first principles, strategies, and tactics. And this episode is from the Rick the Toolman series and talks about zero trust as a first principle strategy, but more specifically, the zero trust tactic of vulnerability management. Hmm, I think a lot of folks would say that vulnerability management is kind of the meat and potatoes of cybersecurity. Is that, is that on track? Well, it's definitely table stakes for any cybersecurity professional, but it is so much more than just patch management, which is complicated enough. But when you think about it, it's really a cyber threat intelligence task. It's a DevSecOps task and should somehow automatically feed into your risk management program. So it's way more complicated than most people think it is. Hmm. Well, before I let you go, uh, what is the word of the day over on your WordNotes podcast? This is a good one. We're explaining AES, that's uh, Advanced Encryption Standard, and you can make the case that AES is the glue that holds most every internet transaction together. So come look forward. That'll be a fun little Word Notes episode for everybody. All right. Well, you can find out all about all of these things over on our website, thecyberwire.com. 
Rick Howard, thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. And joining me once again is Grayson Milborn. He is the Security Intelligence Director at Open Text Security Solutions. Grayson, welcome back to the show. Hey, Dave. Glad to be here again. I want to touch base with you about uh, some, some, some security concerns that folks are having when it comes to open source development libraries. What sort of things can you share with us today? Yeah, well, I mean, open source is a fantastic thing, and I and I love the community and, and the amount of uh, peer-reviewed development has, I think, launched software faster forward um, probably than any other single uh, community. But the problem with that is that, you know, threat actors always look at, you know, how are people using convenience to make their lives better, and how can we disrupt that? Um, and unfortunately, <laughs> what we started to see are examples of uh, attacks on on code repositories. And so just for example, like in Python, there's a, a tool called PyPy. Um, Java or TypeScript has a, a NPM. But these are basically packet management systems that allow you to install additional libraries to support the type of development that you're looking to do. And so like when you just default install Python, for example, it, it comes with the, the Python library, but it doesn't include so many of the millions of other projects that are out there. Um, and so what we've seen is that uh, attackers are starting to go after some of these repositories, and they're kind of doing it in a couple of crazy ways. And so you know, we've seen like the, the, the idea behind security and open source is that there's a review process and that um, updates to the code are, are community approved. And so what we've seen is we've seen some examples of, of poisoning of those communities and, and either you know, the person who reviews it is in on it and you, know, you have a peer review from a, a poison partner and so malicious code gets committed and can then be distributed. And what's dangerous about that is as a developer, I'm, I, I'm, I'm writing some application that's benign but I need this library and I don't want to do all that development work. So I, mm. I grab it and all of a sudden I've now included something in, in my code that just by adding that to my code has trojanized my application. And so that's a really scary concept in that I can now unknowingly be distributing malware. And, and we've actually seen this at scale. Now, this is a little different from uh, attacking open source libraries, but at the end of, um, or the beginning of 2020, we had the, the SolarWinds attack. And that was... You know, SolarWinds Orion platform, which is their remote management platform, was trojanized. And they didn't realize it. And they distributed this out to all of their customers, delivering a, a security solution that it contained a Trojan. And so I think, you know, the cyber crime community saw the benefit and the, the cost savings on attacking like a trusted vendor and having them distribute your code out to all of your potential targets is a, a much easier way to break in than, mm. you know, going after all of those targets. And so I think an extension of that has been these attacks on open source. And, and so as I mentioned, you know, one of them is definitely you know, trying to poison legitimate packages. But another one we've seen is kind of borrowing from a really common technique that we see in the business email compromise space as well as the, the phishing space, and, and that's typo squatting. And, and basically hoping that, you know, as a developer, we all probably type pretty quick, but not with 100% accuracy, I'll have to say. Right. So, yeah, right. Sometimes I, I put that E before the L or the S before the T. And, and you know, what we've seen is that there's a lot of these out there that are basically waiting for somebody to type the wrong thing and inadvertently uh, infect themselves. 
So what's to be done here? I mean, how obviously the the benefits of, of open source software are clear, but how does an open source community protect itself? So I think this is like a, a challenge for that open source community. And I think it, it comes down to having um, a proper hierarchy of review. Um, and, and for, you know, depending on the component that's being modified, I mean, you, you might need more more eyes on it. Um, you know, I, I think this is not a problem that's... Um, that's that's simply solved. I, I think some of this is easy to solve, right? So we look at like typo squatting. Um, you know, we like some of these communities have discovered that hey, you know, somebody put this package here that's two letters off or jumbled up a little bit, um, and they realize that it's malicious, and so then they remove it. So you know, I think the, the the communities themselves need to do a better job of vetting the content within. And really, since we've seen these attacks on like GitHub as well, uh, PyPy NPM, these communities have already done a lot to now. Uh, retroactively review and, and identify and have actually even found several examples of uh, of malicious updates. So, you know, I, th- I think it's not a, there's no silver bullet to the solution. Um, it's, you know, I think it's it's one of the uh, the costs perhaps to having open source um, development um, is that sometimes you have a you have a bad egg out there, and so um, it just requires a bit more review. Um, but, but that said, I mean, like the bugs that you can find in open source are, you know, sometimes much worse than bugs you can create in your own uh, development environment, and, and vice versa. I think it's really more about ensuring that what you get is what you expect. And so I think this is another way that uh, attackers are trying to get in between that level of trust of, you know, oh, you know, this is open source, I can trust it. You know, somebody has reviewed this, I don't need to. And whenever there's that kind of leap of, of trust, I think that also creates an opportunity for exploitation. And, and I think that's what we've seen here. All right. Well, Grayson Milborn, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast, where I contribute to a regular segment called Security Pop. I join Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest security news every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed. The CyberWire podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Liz Irvin, Rachel Gelfin, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Harold Terrio, Maria Vermatsis, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Catherine Murphy, Janine Daly, Jim Hoshite, Millie Lardy, Chris Russell, 
John Patrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, Simone Petrella, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Listeners, we're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey and share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.